Welcome to the Family Church Sermon Podcast. Join us each week as we look to the Bible to seek out what it means to love God passionately and love people personally. For more information about our weekly gatherings and how you can be part of our outreach, visit jointhefamily.church. How are y'all today? Hi. Yeah, it's good to be with y'all today. Uh, if you don't know, my name's Todd. I'm y'all's student director here at Family Church. Um, and I was asked to speak on a topic uh, that... I think we're all really passionate about it, especially as a staff, and I think as a church. Um, and I, I think it's something that we should all really be excited about. We're going to continue our series titled Together as Family. It's our series in the book of Ephesians, so feel free to turn there whenever you so desire. Um, and just real quick, we, we just sang a song called Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone. It's a fantastic song. And I think it encapsulates a, kind of like the ground level of what we are going to be talking about today. Some of the lyrics go like this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That's not fun verbiage right there. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has rescued me, and like a flood, his mercy reigns. Unending love, amazing grace. It's this idea that we were lost, we were gone, we were blind. But now, not only do we see the goodness of God because of Christ, but we're free. We're free from a sin nature and the consequences of it. Our chains are gone. We're no longer shackled by death or sin. We are free in Christ. Amazing grace has set us free. And our big idea this morning is that we are saved from death to life. We'll be in Ephesians 4, 17 through 5, 9. Yes, those are a lot of verses. Stay with me. Let me explain it a little bit in a different way real quick, okay? Imagine this scenario. Let's go to court real quick. It's almost like a courtroom scene. I know many of us have had jury duty. How many of y'all have had jury duty? It's fun, right? No, it's not fun. <laughs> you get your entire day taken away. You get like $2 an hour. It's not awesome. Um, but imagine we're going to court. The scenario is that we're brought to court. We're found guilty of everything. We're found guilty of murder. We're found guilty of theft, all of it. And we're sentenced to death. That's the sentence. Someone that you don't know walks in and goes, no, 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 no. I'll take the penalty. I'll take it. I volunteer. The judge then lets you walk free because that debt has been paid for. Talk about an undeserved gift. And if we accept that gift, we're released. That's the amazing grace that we're talking about. That's what we're going to take a look at today. Before knowing Jesus, we were doomed in the eyes of God. We were out of right relationship. We had no hope of being saved. But because we believe in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, and the fact that he rose physically from the dead, we can have hope that no one else has. And we are saved not only from the death penalty, but we're saved to 
a life of glorifying him in eternity and here, now. And so real quick, just a, a little bit of a reflection time. Um, I, I think I have these questions on the board, do I? Yeah, look at that, I do, I am prepared, look at that. So I wanna take a time to reflect, and I have these questions on the screen. We're gonna take about 30 seconds. I want us to think, what was your life like before following Jesus? And I'm not talking about going to church every Sunday growing up. I'm not talking about growing up in Catholic school. Um, before you decided to follow Jesus, what was your life like? And then the next question is, what is your life like now? What about now? Maybe in your reflection you thought, you know, Jesus really changed my life. I had a complete 180 experience. That, that dude's pretty cool. Uh, he put my life completely back together. Or, or maybe it's, you know, I was doing some pretty terrible things, but Jesus showed up, so I completely stopped everything. Or maybe some of you are thinking, I gave my life to Jesus. Something's changed. Something's got a little worse. I can't really tell that big of a difference. Um, last week, we talk, uh, Dean talked about how Christ equips us for the work of ministering to others. Christ grants us, through the Holy Spirit, gifts to reach people for the sake of the gospel. In other words, Jesus has some stuff for us to do. So not only does Jesus have stuff that we need to stop doing, but he has stuff that we should be doing. So before we finally dive into Ephesians chapter 4, let's pray together, shall we? Father God, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for sending your son Jesus who, who died on a cross. We ask that you come here tonight, today, this morning, whatever time of the day it is, be with us. We ask that you bless us, that you open up our eyes and our mind and our heart. It's what you have for us. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Would you open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4? We're going to start out by reading verses 17 through 19. Up front, a lot of reading. We're going to break it down in chunks, okay? So that way it's not that bad, okay? How do you eat an elephant? A bite at a time. There we go. Yeah, some of y'all know that. So Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 19. Let's take a look. It says, with the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. Our first point this morning is that we are called to leave a confused life. We are called to leave, not lead, that's different. We're called to leave a confused life. 
Just a little bit of vocabulary. The, the Gentiles here refers to the Greeks. And really, it was kind of a catch-all phrase to anyone who wasn't Jewish. All of us here are Gentiles because of Christ. We can know God. It's pretty cool, right? And so to a lot of the, nom- the denominations of Judaism, even today, we're still considered Gentiles. And so we're, st- we're called to stop living how the Gentiles live. And real quick, this is what marks the life of the Gentiles just from this passage. Not mine, okay. The Gentiles have a mind full of darkness. They've closed their mind and they have a hardened heart towards the way that God wants. They have no sense of shame. They live only for lustful pleasure. And they practice every kind of impurity. Paul is saying here, hey, you're called to be set apart. You're called to be different. You came to Christ out of this lifestyle and you're being called into a new, into a new one. So stop living like this. You're called to be different. And the other thing is that we, sometimes we seem to have this idea that we automatically have a desire to know who God is and what he wants for our life. And that, that seems to not be the case. Remember the Gentiles, the, the people who were of the world had closed minds and hardened hearts. That was us. And how often do we see that today? Just to let y'all know, fun fact about me, I love watching debates. I love philosophy. I love reading people from uh, the atheist camp, the Buddhist camp, the Hindu camp. I love studying other religions and just seeing the differences. And it's really helped me understand what people believe so that way I can talk to them about Jesus. Um, I've watched two-hour showdowns between William Lane Craig and the late Christopher Hitchens. Um, I've seen John Lennox have great discussions with Richard Dawkins. Some of y'all know who those people are. If not, that's fine. Frank Turek is a fantastic orator and presenter. I love watching apologetic presentations where people give defenses of the faith. They, They answer questions like, did Jesus really rise from the dead? What are reasons that we can trust Jesus as a real person? They talk about the moral law written on our hearts, pointing to God. They talk about the beginning of the universe, meaning that there is a beginner-er. That's a new word. And I see all of these points. They're solid. They're fantastic. And still, while some end up turning to Christ through these arguments, there are so many that just turn away completely. Like, your God isn't real. Jesus still isn't a real person, even though there's so much historical evidence to the contrary. Or they go on to attack God's character. I can't believe in your God. He's homophobic, xenophobic, Islamophobic, whatever phobic you want to put in there. Excuse after excuse is made. But we're told that we have no excuse. In a letter written to a church in Rome, Paul describes how this darkness of the mind came about. Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 21, But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So we're suppressing the truth. We're suppressing the truth that God has created us in his image, that he has a way for us to live. 
they know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God, yet they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. They began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Our confusion and darkness came from not recognizing who God was. We suppressed truth because we like to do other things besides what God wants us to do. And this darkness and this clouded mind causes something to fester inside of us. The thing's called sin. I like to think of sin as like moral crimes against God, if we're keeping with like the courtroom analogy. It's moral crimes against God. We have a moral law written on our hearts that tells us what's objectively good or evil. That's true for everyone on the face of the planet, whether you trust in Jesus, whether you believe God exists, it's true for everyone. But we suppress that because we want to get our own way. And so what are the things that the Gentiles were doing? It couldn't have been so bad, right? What comes out of a wicked heart or a clouded mind? Paul, in a letter to churches in Galatia, writes out a solid list of things that not only come out of a clouded mind and wicked heart, but are things that we need to check at the door as followers of Jesus. I think I have this list on the board. Yeah, it's a big list. So... It, uh, it comes from Galatians 5, 19 through 21, just, you know, basic list. Uh, sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, other sins like these. And then he continues, he says, let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living this sort of lifestyle will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are things that we have to check at the door. In 99% of us, I'm being generous, before coming to Jesus, don't naturally have shame about these things until we are challenged because we have suppressed the truth to get what we want. Tell you what, I didn't feel shame or guilt about any of this stuff until I read it, or until I heard it preached, or until I heard it said. I'm like, outbursts of anger. That's not good. Mom's like, yeah, I've seen some of those outbursts of anger before. Self-ambition, I certainly love attention. Gotta check that at the door. Lustful pleasures, I better take care of this porn addiction because I really need to uh, not do that. Uh, And even more importantly, I need to find a community to keep me accountable. We aren't convicted of the truth until we hear the truth. And when we come to Christ, we are called to repent, to leave these things at the door, to stop living the way the world does, because the life that Jesus calls us to is so much better. Ah, 
And so what does this life look like? Let's go to verses 20 through 24. Is it up there? Yeah, verses 20 through 24. But that, talking about all those things the Gentiles are doing, but that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So we're going to stop right there just for a brief second. I want you to think about a time when you worked really hard. You got really sweaty. Maybe you were gardening. How many gardeners do we have in here? Yeah, I got one, two, three. Got three gardeners. Good. Yeah. Maybe you got really sweaty from gardening. You felt really gross. Maybe you didn't shower in two days. We all know those Ida days, right? Maybe it was, yeah, maybe it was right after Ida and uh, your AC broke, which in humidity is not fun. Maybe you got done cleaning up a bunch of sewage in your house. Maybe you got done playing a game of football after a Thanksgiving meal. Or maybe you put up a bunch of sheetrock in our fellowship hall. Shout out to Mike and Scott. Mostly Scott. Thank you. Whenever that was, when you got done working or having fun, what did you do? If I were a betting man, you probably took a shower at some point. And you probably changed your clothes. That's exactly what we do when we come to Christ. Our second point, probably the most favorite point I've ever written, we are called to change our clothes. Everyone say amen. Thank you, Andre. We take the filthy rags of our moral crimes against God. We take this sin nature, this old lifestyle. We take this desire to do evil and we take it off. We completely take it off. We shower in baptism. We put Christ on like a fresh pair of overalls or pajamas or whatever clothing item you want in this analogy. We change our clothes. When we look at that cross, when we look at what Jesus did for us, we, we realize that Jesus took our death penalty for us. We recognize that he rose from the dead, that he conquered sin and death, that he calls us to repentance and belief. And we look at our life and we're like, that's not gonna work. We put our faith in Jesus. Not only are we saved for eternity, but the Holy Spirit creates in us a new heart with new desires. This desire to spend living the way that we used to, we start to not want to do that anymore. That may ebb and flow, but it gets easier, especially if you're in a community of believers. We are saved and we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And we're being molded into God's image more and more. And so what does this new life look like? We're going to go back to Galatians 5 real quick uh, in verses 22 through 23. Paul writes out what's known as the fruits of the Spirit. So my gardener's in there. How do you uh, plant, how do you get fruit to come up out of the ground? Miss Dale's shaking her head. She's like, I don't know. I've tried. (laughs) 
ideally, if you put a seed in the ground, water it, take care of it properly, and if it likes you, um, it'll, it'll grow up into a fruit or a vegetable, whatever you planted. Well, so Paul uses this analogy to describe the Holy Spirit inside of us. The Holy Spirit in us causes fruit to grow in us. And so what are these fruits of the Holy Spirit? They are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But wait, back to that word love. What is love? That's kind of important, right? If we're trying to understand how to love someone, what does that look like? In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4 through 7, it says that love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but it rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Notice truth is, that emphasis is mine. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful. And it endures through every circumstance. What's more is that we, we begin to have this desire to not only invite others into the church family. I'm not talking about family church. Yes, invite people to church. That's great. But we invite people into the family of God. Because if we truly believe who Jesus is, how couldn't we? If we truly believe that he died on the cross to put us in right relationship with God, if we truly believe he rose from the dead and conquered death, how could we not share that or try to figure out a way to talk about it? We love others by serving others. We start having a desire to be sacrificial with our things and with our lives regardless on whether we're persecuted, regardless on whether we're made fun of for our faith, regardless of ridicule, we are courageous because we know who Jesus is. And now we're going to get into some more practical things. So specifically, to this city in Ephesus, it's a city that dwarfs only that of the city of Rome at this time of the Roman Empire. It's a port city. It has great Mediterranean seafood. It has a street dedicated to lust and drunkenness. It has people that are very spiritual, but in a lot of the wrong ways. We're going to see some very practical ways to live some of this out. And we're going to read a very large chunk. This is the largest chunk we're going to read, and it's the last chunk we're going to read, okay? So, so let's uh, bear with me, all right? Uh, let's go to verse 25, and we're going to read through verse 5, 9, okay? So chapter 5, verse 9. Sounds good? Let's see. All right. Give you also time to flip there. If y'all, okay. So remember, this is like practical things, okay? So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body, And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. It's pretty straightforward there. 
Instead, use your hands for doing hard work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Nine more verses. Hang in there. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Three more verses. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of the light, for this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. So here's a practical breakdown of what just happened, all right? Basically, we need to stop lying. Instead, we need to tell the truth at all times. Don't let anger control us. If you're a thief, stop it. Just stop. Don't use foul and abusive language, whether that's telling crude stories, at work, making sexual or sensual comments, uh, anything degrading, cursing as well. Uh, all of that needs to stop. Everything we say should be an encouragement, should be helpful, should be good and true. And, and look, I'm not coming at you like I have all of this figured out. I fall short in a couple of ways, in a lot of ways. The thing is, is that if we believe who Jesus is, and if we want to be a good witness to Christ, these are the things we should uphold. These are things that we need to stop doing and things we need to start doing. And to do otherwise would grieve the Holy Spirit inside of us. We grieve God by our evil actions. But here's the big thing. I, I really don't want anyone to miss this. We're going to go back to our court scene. This is, this is the, the big news. The reason why we stop doing certain things, the reasons why we start doing things. We're standing in court. 
We're guilty of lying, cheating, stealing, hating people, cursing, immorality, lust, anger, greed, murder. We're guilty of all of that. The judge is about to slam the hammer, and he yells, guilty. Someone walks in, in the analogy, Jesus, looks at you, looks at the judge, looks at you again, and he says, I'll take the punishment. I'll take the consequence. The judge says to you, okay, looks like you're free to go. That's grace. And that's the grace that drives us to live a life that Jesus calls us to. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us and drives us to action. And since Christianity is true, it is the greatest message of hope that this world could ever know. And it's a hope that we carry with us wherever we go. You see, despite our failings, God looked down on us and said that we are worth dying for. Jesus willingly went to a cross for us, and having faith in Jesus isn't easy. But it it means that we need to stop doing some things. We aren't doing it alone, though, because we have each other. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. God has supplied us with what we need, and he has equipped us for every good action that he would have us do. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for today. God, we come to you and we we thank you for being willing to meet us. We thank you for calling us your sons and daughters. We thank you for, in a way, making it easy. You make it easy for us to love you by what you demonstrated on that cross. So God, we we ask that you move us. We ask that you move us to live how you desire. That you put in us courage to share the good news of you to the world in our actions, and in our words. So, Father God, we worship you. We magnify your name, and we praise you. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. We're going to sing a song in response. We're going to go into communion. Uh, The song we're going to sing is about magnifying who Jesus is.